Now tonight's subject, as we're looking at it, is a great subject from the book of 1 Kings 17, and do follow it, uh, uh, the, the Word of God with us tonight. It's been a privilege since I was 15 to be involved with the work of the United Beach Missions. My father, Werner Wright, along with Lance Pibworth and a number of others, had the privilege of founding the work of the United Beach Missions. I, uh, the first day Roger Carswell came to work, he worked for Beach Missions just for a year and then he went on to hire things. There were other reasons as well, we won't go there. Uh, but he came, the office was next to my room and we, we saw all these uh, amazing things that happened. In, it seemed very slowly at first. But it's just amazing to think that in nine different countries, over 900 uh, workers. And as a 15-year-old, I, I have been on beach missions for the last 46 years, serving Christ in the ups and the downs. And it's just been fantastic to see that God provides. And I want to say this right at the very outset. To God be the glory, great things he has done. They could never imagine okay, in relation to the work of the United Beach Missions, just the way that God has provided. Team members from all sorts, and we've had Irish, we've had English, we've had Nigerians, we've had Welsh, we've had Scots, we've even had Texans on the team this year. We had the 12 to 13 of them joined us uh, 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 from the state of Texas, from Texarkana. They arrive in Ballybunion, and outside Ballybunion, I always take the Texan team members to see them. Now, Texan, okay, is in the deep south, and there's a statue of Bill Clinton with a golf club outside, and I just love, I said, yeah, here it is, and they, they're not too fond of him down there, and, uh, and then they said, oh, they had a good laugh, and they said, but Steve, we're not allowed to discuss politics on the team. I said, oh, yeah, thanks, okay. I was rebuked, I'm, I'm put in my place, and Texan's known for its bigness, isn't it? I was telling them the story uh, of the Irishman and the Texan, and how the Texan said, he said, my ranch, he said, is so vast, he said, I could drive my automobile uh, all day, and I wouldn't get round my ranch, and the Irish guy replied, to be sure, he said, I used to have a car like that too. <laughs> so we, we have all sorts of great things. But God does provide. I remember as a youngster going on a boat from Belfast to where we had a, a beach mission in Scotland in the air. And there was a guy who became very friendly to both me and Roger, a guy called Mr. Flanagan, when we had a beach mission in Bangor in Northern Ireland. And at that time there weren't mobile phones or anything. And I knew I was going over, but I'd run out of money to get the... That, you know, to, I thought I'd just have to hitchhike to the center. And anyway, we got had a great Bible study together. And he said, Steve, he said, here's some money to help you on your way. And I couldn't believe it. I had my train fare. I got to the, uh, uh, the station in Stranra, and I was so excited that God had provided this. I got not on the train, but it went in a different direction from air. Then I realized I didn't sneak under the barrier, but I got back and went in, in the, uh, to, the, the, to, to uh, air and arrived there in time. And I want to say this that we have a God who provides. And this weekend, our uh, theme is Stand Strong, the God who provides. C.T. Studd penned these words a number of years ago. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. I love to sing when in a crowd, but when I'm standing on my own, I don't sing half so loud. And I want to say this because I realize I grew up in England. I've been in Ireland now for 40 years. I grew up in a college, uh, I went to a further education college of uh, well over a thousand. I only knew one other Christian. And I uh, appreciate tonight the privilege that you have given us to come here early, to be here, to listen to God's word. And I want to it really in in encourage you. And to say this, that God 
provides help in difficult uh, situations. As we join the uh, uh, 1 Kings 17, we realize that Ahab and Jezebel are mentioned. Then came uh, Omri's son Ahab, and as far as the religious practice and worship of the true God of Israel, Ahab was worse than Omri. And in 1 Kings 16, it says that Omri did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, more so than all the kings who went before him. And if you read 1 Kings, that certainly was something. But Ahab went farther than his father. He married Jezebel, the princess of Sidon, a Phoenician city just north of Israel in what we now call Lebanon. And Jezebel was dedicated worshiper of Baal, the god of rain and agriculture and fertility. To appease the gods, there would be these altars upon different mountains where they would sometimes sacrifice live children to appease their god. It was a wicked nation in which Elijah came. But I want you to learn this, that in God's economy, in zero hour, God provides men and women who are really prepared to take a stand. Do you remember the God of Baal, the God who's going to provide rain? What does Elijah the Tishmite say from Gilead? As the Lord, God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall neither be dew nor rain in these years except by my word. They thought Baal could turn the rain on and off. But, but Elijah said, God is greater than the Baal. And to prove it, God is going to shut off the heavens and there will be no rain until I say so. And there's nothing you, Jezebel, or Baal can do about it. Elijah is an amazing person. He's the most mentioned prophet in the, in the, in, in, in the Gospels. And when Jesus appeared on the scene, they said, it's Elias. And you know, they uh, 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 in different things. But we know it wasn't. Because Elijah had done his work. He was the only person to appear in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, okay, in terms of the transfiguration. Now, I want you to notice, first of all, that God provided in the commonplace beside the drying brook. God provided in the drying place, uh, in the commonplace beside the drying brook. Then the word of the Lord came to him saying, get up, get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan, and it will be uh, that you shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you. Cherith simply means this, or it's the nature speaks about, the word means to cut off or to cut down. The nature of the place, God said he was to hide himself. It was by nature a hardy and lonely place. Before Abraham could be used in Carmel, he had to prove God in the secret place. Joseph suffered the indignities of the pit and prison before becoming prime minister. Moses spent one third of his life in the desert before becoming a deliverer. David learned the sufficiency of God's power on the hillside before dealing a gigantic blow to Goliath. And the Lord Jesus had 30 years in seclusion before he had his public ministry com commenced for three years. It is so often that we prove God in the secret place. I often tell the story of Gerard Crispin, who was a young Christian, 
who'd just become a Christian, he went to a wonderful evangelical church, but he was a little bit mischievous. And when they went in in this lovely service, the minister said, shall we pray? And Gerard went, okay. <laughs> now he's a character, but you know, one of the first things when I became a Christian to the Young Life in Leeds, I had a group who taught me to pray. I always remember on a Friday night, going along with Roger, who'd just come to trust Christ and return from Lebanon, we'd have a tremendously practical meeting. Saturday night was Bible study and prayer. And then we'd go down to the open air. And then there were days of prayer and fasting that we set aside, and we were really encouraged to really seek God's face. And I want to say this, that as the darkness seems to come in on our nation, God is bigger than the darkness. You know what the Bible says? It says this, where sin does abound, grace does much more abound. General Booth, long before he became known as General Booth, said this, I do promise God that I will read four chapters of God's word every day and I will spend no less than five minutes in prayer. God raised that man up to be a mighty follower of Jesus. One of my abiding memories of my dad was to see him with an open Bible, having read three to four chapters of the Word, and knowing that he prayed for people. And it's, as we see this time, I, I want to really encourage us to really pray. If you want to look at a great video, just, just Google Bill Hybels having coffee with God. It's an amazing, challenging thing, it's because it's in the secret place that God really uh, does uh, speak to us. Now, the supplies that came uh, 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 were quite amazing, okay, in different ways. They were, first of all, natural. There was a brook that, uh, uh, that God had uh, uh, provided uh, for Elijah uh, to, drink, to drink from. God used a bubbling brook. But he also used ravens to feed him. I don't know whether that's the first mention of a tweet in the Bible, but certainly, okay, they were there. There was a natural, a brook, but there was supernatural, a bird. He drank from the brook. brook. It wasn't a massive river, and it's rare that God places his servant in the midst of luxury, because he wants to teach us to rely on, our, on the blesser, not on our blessings. There is a danger in materialism. Listen to what Deuteronomy 32. But Yeshua sure, sure grew fat and kicked. You grew fat, stout and sleek. Then he forsook God who made him and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. And it's so easy, isn't it, to become just living for materialism. It's sucking the lifeblood, I believe, out of courageous Christianity. But then there was supernatural. I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. And so Elijah went and did according to the word of the Lord. Now, it's an amazing story, isn't it? Because as Elijah was there, it was delivery direct. I, my son used to work in subways. He met all sorts of characters there. One day there was a guy came in and David said to him, is that what I think you're holding? And the guy said, yes, it was a lizard. And he got a subway for his lizard. And, he's, and David said, well, you can't feed your lizard here. And uh, the guy says, well, where does it say I can't feed a lizard? Well, you just can't. And this guy took over and he fed his li lizard. Now, wasn't the lizard feeding him? But look, learned something that even this more amazing. God did the first direct delivery. And do you know what? He did it by a raven. Now, the natural thing for a raven to do is to take, not bring. I work uh, in a, uh, as a lawyer in Belfast, and, uh, and in the office where we work, there was a guy who used to bring in every Friday fish. He loved fish, 
and it was often a little bit pungent smelling. But one day, my colleague, it was actually a lovely Christian guy, uh, it even really got to him because he put his fish on the radiator, so the room began to smell absolutely awful. And Fergus was the name of my friend who brought in the fish. So Bryce, what he did when Fergus wasn't looking, he took out the fish and he put it on the ledge, okay, just on the window uh, outside. And as Fergus walked into his horror, he saw his prize lunch being devoured by seagulls who'd landed and began to eat his fish. Now, uh, what I'm saying is this. The natural order was reversed. And I want to say this, that it demonstrates God's power, uh, God's wisdom, and it demonstrates God's power. See, if it had maybe been dogs that provided it, it might have led Ahab and Jezebel to him. But God is the one who can rule in the animal kingdom. It demonstrates God's sovereignty. In Leviticus 11, it says this, And these you shall detest amongst the bird. And it lists a number, every raven of, uh, uh, of any kind. Now I want to say this, that God in his sovereignty is so big, he can cause the wrath of his enemies to praise him. He's a sovereign God. HCGJB, Heralding Christ Jesus' Blessings, was a radio station that opened up in Latin America. They wondered how they were going to get it out, but the communists, as they were moving in, surprised the tribal people with loads of radios. HCJB moved in, and they were able to beam their programs, which were picked up immediately by the tribal people who'd been supplied by others who were seeking to really uh, 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 go through communist uh, propaganda. Let me tell you another story of the Vice President of Young Life, Dr. Helen uh, Rosevear, who many years ago was involved with Girls Crusaders and with the Worldwide Evangelization Crusade. She was a missionary out in then, uh, now Zaire, but Congo. One night in, uh, in Central Africa, as a doctor, she'd worked hard to help her mother in the labor ward. But in spite of all that she could do, the mother died, leaving them with a tiny premature baby and a crying two-year-old daughter. She thought, how can we keep the baby alive? We've no incubator. We've no electricity to run an incubator. And although they lived on the equator, nights were often chilly and treacherous drafts as the temperature plummeted. A student midwife went to the box that they had for babies with the cotton wool and also a hot water bottle. But they pulled out the only hot water bottle. It was made in rubber and out there in the temperature it had just burst. It perishes so easily in tropical climates. She gathered the children around and one of the children prayed, Please God, send us a water bottle It'll be no good tomorrow, God. The baby will be dead, so please send it this afternoon. While Helen gasped inwardly at the audacity of the prayer, she added by way of corollary, and while you're about it, would you please send a dolly for the little girl so she'll know that you really love her? And Helen sat there and thought, can I really believe that God could answer a prayer like that? They were halfway through the afternoon, and excitement came as a parcel had arrived. Helen went and got it, and the children began to gather around. She felt she had 40 uh, uh, African eyes upon her. As they opened it, they found a mix of raisins and sultanas, other things for uh, patients who suffered from le leprosy. And as she put her hand in, she, 
she grasped it and she could hardly believe it. There was a brand new rubber hot water bottle. I cried. I'd asked God to send it. I not only uh, 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 not truly believed that he could send it, but this wee girl, Ruth, who was in the front row, and she rushed forward saying, if God sent a bottle, maybe he sent a baby dolly too. And she dived in, and she got, and there in the bottom of the of this little parcel was a baby doll. She said, let's go over to see the mummy and give this dolly to this little girl so that she'll know that Jesus really loves her. The parcel had been on the way for the whole five months, packed up interestingly by a Sunday school uh, uh, teacher. And on that day, it arrives. You know what Isaiah says? Before they call, I will answer. While they are speaking, I will hear. We sometimes sing that song, don't we? Jehovah Jireh is his name, and he'll provide. The Lord who died my soul to save, he will provide. He opens up his hands on high, every longing to satisfy. I'll trust him as the moments fly, but he will provide. Oh yes, we have an amazing God who really does provide. But as he was by the brook, and as he was being fed by these birds that shows the power of God, the sovereignty of God, the brook began to run dry. And after a while, the brook dried up. Can I say this? Sometimes the brook of life dries up. And it's not because God is not pleased with us, but he desires to take us on to other things. Sometimes it can be failing health. Sometimes it can be diminishing business. Sometimes it can be a breakdown in a relationship that you're so treasured. Sometimes it can be failure in academic success. Sometimes it's failure in health, a life partner dies, a redundancy in the job. Why does God permit brooks to dry up? Well, we know in one sense, if we thought about it and if Elijah stood back, God had answered his prayer, hadn't he? Because it, the, the, the heavens withheld the rain, a prophecy had been fulfilled. But again, Elijah was taking as he was stripped away, and as God began to shape and to refine him, that he was teaching him not to trust in himself, not to trust in the gifts, even though they were incredible, but to trust in the one who was the blesser. Derek Bingham, who ran a Bible class in the Troubles in Northern Ireland with over a thousand people attending on a Tuesday night, right in the, with the mayhem in the city of Belfast, when he was diagnosed with a terminal disease, said this, our disappointments are God's appointments. Our disappointments are God's appointments. And proving God personally led Elijah on a 75-mile trek to the widow of Zarephath. God, Elijah proved God in the common place beside the drying book. But let me say secondly, Elijah proved God in the crucible beside the diminishing barrel. Zarephath was the place of refining. It's where they refined the metal. And they met this widow who was just so poor. And Elijah had to learn the pride. He said, look, I'm going to get a widow who's at the extremity of of her situation. She was basically making a meal for her, uh, the last meal before she believed that she would die and, and her son. But God said to Elijah, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth 
And she went and did as Elijah said. And she and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent. Neither did the jug of oil become empty. In that place of refining where he was, for those number of years, God began to do a deep work in the widow's life and in Elijah's life. 1 Peter says this, so that the testing genuineness of your faith is more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire that you may be found to result in praise and glory and the honor of Jesus Christ. Sometimes God takes us and he begins to refine us in different uh, ways and to prove God in, 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 in incredible ways. A number of years ago, I remember being at the Leeds Young Life where they did a study on what the Bible has to say about metals. It was a fascinating study. And they said this, that one of the ways in the old days that they knew that the gold was refined was as they would stir the rubble and all the different things mixed into it, the refiner would remove the dross, put it to the side, remove the dross and move it to the side. And he knew it was refined when he could see the reflection of his face in the pool of gold. Maybe God has brought us here this weekend. You come away, that brook has begun to dry up. But God wants to refine you so that the face of the refiner, the Lord Jesus, can be seen in you. Let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. All his wonderful passion of purity. Oh, my spirit, all my nature refined till the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. Now it was amazing, wasn't it? It was a miracle every day. She scraped the bottom of the barrel and there was enough meal to fix their food. She watched the last drip of oil uh, go from a jar, but the next day there was always more. It's the glory, isn't it, of the provision of God. Now I would really recommend ten of those up there. There's some great books. But one of the books is by uh, the story of George Muller born in a German tax family. He learned to steal and gamble as a teenager. He stayed in expensive hotels and sneaked off without paying the bills. But at length he was caught, jailed. Prison did a little good, for upon release he continued his crime spree. Until one Saturday night in 1825, he was wonderfully converted. He founded the Muller Orphanages on a public meeting in Bristol on the December the 9th, 1835. From the beginning, Muller refused to ask for funds or even to speak of the ministry's financial needs. He believed in praying earnestly that God would really provide. One of the best known stories is one morning when the plates and the bowls and cups were set out on the tables, there was no food or milk. The children sat waiting for breakfast while Muller led in prayer for their daily bread. A knock sounded at the door. It was the baker. Mr. Muller, he said, I couldn't sleep that last night. Somehow I felt you, would, uh, you didn't have uh, bread for the breakfast, so I got up at 2 a.m. and baked fresh bread. A second knock came. It was the milkman. His vehicle had broken down right in front of the orphanage, and he wanted to give his children milk so he could uh, empty his wagon and repair it. Such stories were not the exception but the norm. And during the course of many years of service, Muller House, more than 10,000 orphans, prayed in millions of pounds, traveled to scores of countries preaching the gospel, and, uh, and, and recorded 50,000 answers to prayer. It's an amazing thing. 
And you know, I want to give thanks this, to God for this. Beach Missions has never taken a collection. In fact, in the early days of, of, in, of Beach Missions in Ireland, okay, when we were giving out free hot dogs one night, one guy said to Paddy, he said, 10 to 1 on, he said, they'll charge you for the sausages. He lost his bet. Now, it's not that Beach Missions encourages betting, because we want to say the gospel is free. It really is. And God has provided the needs uh, in, in relation to the work of the United Beach Mission. And sometimes we can feel at the end of our rope, we can feel we can't manage another day, we can't find strength for it. But I want to say this tonight. God is the God who provides. Will you say that together with me? One, two, three. God is the God who provides. Let's say it again. One, two, three. God is the God who provides. And He knows where you are tonight. And He knows in the sovereignty that you're here this weekend. And God wants to bless you. And He wants to provide for you. And I have no doubt that God is going to take many folk here today and do just absolutely remarkable things uh, through him. Stand strong. But finally, he proved him in the commonplace beside the drying book. He proved him in the crucible as he refined him. But finally, he proved God in the calamity Beside the dying boy, when we had that passage so powerfully read to us tonight, and we saw, because there's power in the word of God, how the son became ill. It seemed a contradiction in terms of the God who fed him with ravens and the God who provided the brook that he he would allow this little boy to die. I think it's one of the heaviest griefs that one can ever have to lose a child. But Elijah came and he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, Oh Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened. There was a distraught parent. There really was because she was now absolutely at her wit's end. But I want you to notice God's wisdom. Do you know, I wish I'd read this before one time there was a near fatal crash in the work. And I sat beside a woman whose son was on a life support machine. And you know, you know, the lady said, she blamed Elijah for a trouble, okay? Oh man of God, you've come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. Sometimes in the breaking of bad news there can be disbelief, numbness, hyperactivity, excessive speech, anger against God, hysteria, and sometimes bitterness. Trouble can make you better or bitter. And somebody said the difference is the I. But God provided Elijah wisdom. If you're a leader, or if you someday you will, many of you will be in this position. There was no angry response. He noted her extreme distress, and he brought calm into the situation. And he recognised that in the woman's anguish she had faced. And it says in Hebrews 11:35, the women received their dead raised to life. Don't you judge someone who, in the extreme moment of anguish, may say something even against God. God understands. He knows our faith. And he wants to come and minister as that good shepherd. The one who loves you, the one who wants to bless you in different, but he also is the one who gives, provides in death. Because the woman said, as Elijah brought him down, see your son lives. See your son lives. It was over agonizing prayer. I'm glad that Beach Missions, is a, as well as an adult mission, is a children's mission. We need to pray for the lost children of our, of our nation. We really do. 
There are children who live near you who never go to church, and you need to think about uh, talking to the parents and to, and to bring them along and to be a real blessing. We, we need, we have the weekend, save the children. I think every church ought to have save the children, not only physically and practically, but spiritually uh, too. But I want to say this. Sometimes we can go to all sorts of different things, but God can hear us in our extremity. A few weeks ago, I had the delight of being over at a, at a conference of 9,000 leaders where Bill Hybels was speaking. And he was saying this, that sometimes when we get right to our end, and he instanced the story of a lady uh, from Canada who decided to row all the way over from Canada to Europe. And what happened was this, that she got into trouble, not surprisingly, and she called for help. And guess who came to her aid? The Queen Mary. It really did, and came right where she was. They gave her champagne and flowers and all sorts of different things. Can I say this in your hour of need? You can cry to a God, and it's not the Queen Mary that comes, but the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And sometimes that may not be easy. I want to put up a friend, uh, a picture of a friend. This is of the Moor Mountains, and it was taken by a good friend of mine, Peter Anderson. My son David was married to a lovely girl called Leslie just last year. Her father, Peter, had been diagnosed with motor neuron disease. And we often used to go around. He worked with SISM. He just did a tremendous work there. And it was a joy for him, even in the wheelchair, to be able to give Leslie away. And then I used to go and visit him. One night I did an evening on the evidence for the resurrection. He said because he'd come to know Christ through the words, Jesus died for you, and realized that Jesus shed his blood upon the cross at the resurrection. And he said, look, he said, I know that one day this body is going to go, he said, but you know, he said, one day I am going to get a Mark II resurrection body. We don't preach the resurrection body enough. And one day as we were sitting there, I said, Peter, I said, how do you... What do you make of the verse, counter all joy when you fall into all sorts of different trials? And he said, I've thought about that, Stephen. It says this light affliction for a moment is nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed. And he said, I think God has a reverse exchange. It's not that we're saved by works, we're saved by his grace and what Jesus has done. But one day God will exchange trials for glory. I went away lifted. And just the last week last Saturday or last Saturday Peter had been taken in there was a bit of food lodged in his lung we expected him to come out on Wednesday but on Saturday night I got a heartbroken call from my son he said Dad he's Peter has died he's going to be with Jesus he said we just we went round to see him the doctor has just been working but he's gone but we know where he's gone he said because do you know he said God provided for him. God provided for him. And you know, I want to say this. That the, the gospel is great news. It is glad news. And it is good news. Because it speaks of forgiveness for the past. Strength for today. And a glorious hope for tomorrow. There's nothing this world can offer than the gospel. It really is. He exchanges trials for glory. So let's finish tonight by summarizing what we've learned. Stand strong, the God who provides, in the common place beside the drying brook. God providing in the crucible, beside that diminishing barrel, and calamity by the dying boy. And I want to say this this evening.
is if God could provide that, he can provide it for you. Do you remember when he, Jesus cried, Eloi, Eloi, lama sacrifami? They said he cries for Elias. But he didn't because Elias in the transfiguration pointed to the death of Jesus. Because on that cross, Jesus hung in quivering flesh and blood. It wasn't the nails that held him there, but love for you and love for me. And he says this, because my son went to a cross, there's forgiveness for the past, there's strength for the day, and there is a glorious hope for tomorrow. And he demonstrated that by rising from the dead.